stressed out like they were shampoo. You should stay. It can change. There's good days and bad days. But one day down the line, this time will show to stop. So the only time is now for a Hi, and welcome to episode four of This Is Your TV Life. Today, um, on this episode, we are going back to our childhood, somewhat, um, and we are joined by Lewis Brindley, um, who most famously was they played Owen in the kids' TV show Four O'Clock Club from CBC. So first up, welcome Lewis. I nearly said welcome Owen. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, um, it wouldn't be the first time somebody's got those names confused. Yeah, no. Well, welcome Lewis. Yeah. Thank you. For, <laughs> thank you for joining us. No, I'm, I'm more than happy to be here. Thank you for having me. No, thank you. It's, it's our pleasure. Um, so as I said, you were part of the, the, the modern day Grange Hill, shall we say? The kids, yeah, that's a good description. Kids drama. Yeah. Kids yeah, drama. Yeah. The big, the biggest, one of the biggest kids dramas, certainly of the 2000s. Mm, mm. Um, but, but first off, we'll get into more about the Four O'Clock Club shortly. But, but first, why acting? What got you into the acting? Well... Believe it or not, given such a sort of extroverted career choice as acting, I was actually, as a kid, I was like really, really shy. Like mm-hmm. um, I, I would just sort of go into school and stuff. I was dead shy. I wouldn't talk to people. Um, and my parents thought, well, that's not great. So they took me to uh, just a local acting coach. And um, I did like uh, little sort of workshops and classes with like other pe- kids about my own age, just doing like little um, excerpts and readings from plays and, and that kind of thing. And it sort of brought me out my shell, really. Um so now I'm doing arguably the least sort of shy, compatible career choice, which is acting. Um, but yeah, that's that's why I started. And um, after a couple of years of doing that sort of acting classes type thing, I did like a couple of films and then um, started working with BBC in 2010 was the first BBC thing I did. Um, and then went on from there. Yeah, because you had done quite a few bits before, because I've looked at you, you've got an IMDB page, you know, uh, and I had done my research before that, before before today, and you have done quite a few bits. Obviously, your your big, biggest role so far has, has been the Four O'Clock Club. Yeah. Um, But you had done some bits before that, so you had experience. Um, But that must have been quite young, because you, you started in the Four O'Clock Club when you were 13, so to anything yeah. before that, you must have been quite really young. So that must have been a great experience to have. Yeah, it was, yeah. it's Because um, I started acting um, when I was six. That's when I started going to classes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, oh, I can never remember the exact dates. <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you, even on my, even on my CD, I, CD, CV, I have to like look through the dates and think, oh God, what year was that again? But um, I think I we all doing... have to do that, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember doing um, student films when I was sort of really young. And one of the first ones I did was called Special Alexander. I was I was the Alexander and um, I had this like wizard costume on. And I remember it being like too big because I was like such a like a small sort of kid. Um, but yeah, it, it was like a great experience to, to sort of have met so many people and done so many, frankly, really unique things. Yeah. before I was even 10 which is, is crazy yeah that's quite good to, to, to be able to say that um that, that mm. you managed to do all those things even before you're 10 because experience is great no matter what age you are but I think the more experience you get as a kid you I think because kids learn more they, they, they take more in than, than than adults yeah yeah um so I think not that adults don't take anything and I'm not in, like anybody wants to start <laughs> no, an adult mean, yeah like you won't fail but like kids it's a proven fact kids take in they, they, they suck in more 
like yeah. knowledge as, as I mean, a that's why speech. they teach languages at schools is because kids just like absorb all the information mm-hmm. and stuff yeah absorb that word. I couldn't get that there I was like <laughs> took in but absorb that word um so, so we'll move on to, to your your biggest role the, the role that everybody will know you for um <laughs> and that was just, just a small show that's now been running for what nine years yeah something like that um, nine, I remember it's, um nine, the nine years? most yeah something like that but nine series um, today, anyway nine series yes uh, but it was I think it was at the most recent rap party that we had um after finishing the most recent series um, our executive producer said that we were actually sort of among some of the longest running sitcoms ever like in the history of television, which is just like a crazy thing to think about. Um, wow. Just to, to be among like such fantastic sitcoms, like you think about historical sitcoms and you think, Foreign Plot Club's on that list, and I was a part of that. I just think that's kind of amazing. Quite a big about. chunk of that. It wasn't just like one or two series. It was, you were part of series three. You sat in series three yeah, and you, yeah. you, you ended in series eight. So that's quite a quite considerable for nine series of a show. That's mm, a considerable mm. amount, a big chunk of time. Yeah, definitely. It, um, it 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 was a considerable chunk of time. And I think um, looking back over those years, because obviously I started it when, as you say, when I was thirteen, so I was just sort of halfway through high school, and then I was doing it again through college. It was like a large portion of like my own personal life as well as of, yeah. of my sort of career. And it's like I think I had a lot of. Um, growing experiences and I met a lot of amazing people on the show and um I, I do think it was it's one of the best decisions I ever made obviously was go, going to that audition and, and turning up and saying hi I'm I'm Lewis I'd like to do like to do a bit for Owen please so so we'll, we'll touch on your experiences a bit more as we go along but the first question I have is how did it you talk about an audition but how did it first come about at that age how does like auditions and things for kids come about um, well, I was with an agent because the acting coach that I had at the time was also my agent. And right. um, essentially, I was, I've been doing uh, auditions and stuff for, for a few years anyway, just for things like um, I remember I did like a, a Heinz Beans commercial, I think, years and years and years ago. And um, it's just things like that that I'd been doing up until that point. And I did um, a couple of different sort of smaller BBC things. Like I started off with. Um, it was called the Cloudwatch Club. Stepping up was the series, and the episode I did was the Cloudwatch Club, and that was like my first BBC thing. And I think from that point, I sort of had my foot in the door a bit. So um, but then I think the audition came through for Four O'clock Club, and I remember my my agent telling me, and I was like, Four, four O'clock Club, that's that that's that kids' TV show, isn't it? And I, I had to sort of remember, oh yeah, I, I like that. That's really good. Um, so I remember going down for the audition, but yeah, it was um, quite a surreal experience. It always is auditions. Because um, you go in for your sort of five-minute audition slot uh, for Owen or whoever it might be, and then you look at the casting director and the director and the producer and stuff, and they've been there all day. And it's quite surreal to be like, hi, I'm like the 20th Owen you've seen today, but I'd love, I would love to be a part of this. So do, do you remember, like, did you feel, did you walk out of the audition feeling that you had made an impact, or did you think, like, oh, that was going terribly, or how did you feel? Um. Do you remember that? I think it is a struggle, but um, the the thing I I mostly take away from auditions, regardless of how how well or how how badly I might have done, was like the connection I made or didn't make with the people in the room. I think that's why I much prefer doing auditions to doing self-tapes. Because doing a self-tape, it's just me stood in this room with a camera pointing at me and reading a script aloud. And I might rope in to say, can you just read the other lines, please? Um, But... An audition, it's sort of really nice to be able to go into the room and sort of shake hands with the producer and shake hands with the casting director and just sort of say, 
hi, I'm Lewis, and they'll obviously introduce themselves. And it's nice to have that connection sort of formed. And I remember walking out of the audition and thinking, well, they were nice. <laughs> so that's that's something that I, I, I sort of have held from that experience. Yeah, and no, that makes sense. And I think, obviously, at the moment, it, it's all self-tapes at the moment for, for obvious mm. reasons. Yeah. Um, but I think I, I spoke to a few casting directors, certainly of the West End, mm. um, and they've said that they want to get back to face-to-face editions mm. as, as literally as soon as they can because yeah. for the same reasons. They can't make the same connection, mm. um, certainly not in the, the, the minutes that you have of the self-tape mm. um, over, a, over a tape as you can in face-to-face. Yeah, so certainly yeah. The, the face-to-face editions will probably most likely come back. Um, I'm not a casting yeah, director. The great strength. <laughs> yeah, I think that is the great strength of the face-to-face auditions is you can sort of tell a lot about somebody's character over the course of an audition. If they if they trip over a line or if they make a mistake, what's what's their response to that? What's their response to their own performance? Do they think, well, I could have done that better, can I have another go? Or do they respond well to direction? Or And it, I think... There's a lot more you can learn from an audition than a self-tape, at least in, in my humble opinion. 100%, yeah, and, and I agree that. And the thing is, another thing with self-tape is that the, the cast director will look at it and say, like, so what take is that? Mm, yeah. Is that yeah. take one? Is that take 52? Like, you could, because mm. a self-tape, I know, like, me, I'm not an actor in any way, but I would be with a self-tape, I'd be recording it, recording it, recording it. The problem is, mm. I'd probably send it off actually thinking about it after the first attempt, because I know I would never get it perfect. Like for me, <laughs> no, I would never be able to get it perfect. I know what you mean. It's um, to be perfectly honest. I find self tapes quite frustrating from time to time because there's 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 sometimes there's a script that'll come through and there'll be just like a, a little bit of, of pronunciation that's a bit difficult. And um, in an audition or something, you could pronounce the word wrong and just sort of make a bit of a joke about it and, and, and laugh it off and carry on. On a self tape, right? Well, that that entire take is gone. Then I, I I need to sort of have another go and have another have, try a little bit better and make sure I get that word right. And it's I do find it frustrating, but um I think the the payoff of like putting my SD card into the computer and just sending the tape off it's it's uh, it's almost like a large like a big weight lifted in a strange way. It's like yeah, ah, excellent. I'm into that part now. That's much better. Yeah, move on to the next one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it's just like job interviews, isn't it? That's literally mm. what it is. It's just like, that's that one done. Let's move on to the next one until they hear back from this one. Yeah. Um, so, so obviously for anyone that doesn't know, because there's a lot of adults out there, um, and it, your demographic was kids because it was on CBBC. Yeah, yeah. Um, Four O'Clock Club, it was a kids musical sitcom. Yeah. It had some yeah. music in it, it had the drama, it mm. had the comedy, it had, it had everything. It basically was... It was Coronation Street for kids. Or, yeah, a, it was. Or as we said, yeah. it was the 21st century uh, Grinchill. Mm, mm. Um, that's that's what it, what's, what it was dubbed as. It was one of the biggest kids shows, certainly, of the 2010s, if yeah, not certainly. ever. Um, mm. I think we're, we're easily saying it's one of the big kids shows, best, biggest sorry, kids shows ever. Um, mm. I'm assuming, had you watched it before you went in? Because you went in at series three, so two series has happened. Mm, mm. I had watched a couple of episodes. I remember... Um... When I got the, as I, I said earlier in, the, in, in this um, interview, the, um, when my agent told me that I had an audition for Four O'Clock Club, I remember thinking, isn't that, that, that's, actually, that's that CBBC show, isn't it? And I, I remember going on to iPlayer or something and saying, oh, yeah, it's this thing with the rapping. Oh, that's the one. Um, and then thinking, oh, God, I've got to learn how to rap. <laughs> um, but, I, I, yeah, I had, I had watched it before, and I remember sort of, once I'd sort of rediscovered it in a you know sort of strange roundabout way, I remember thinking, oh, this one, yeah, I like this one. Yeah, 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 I remember that one, yeah. 
Um, I, I want to kind of touch on obviously kids TV in general. Um, there's a lot of today's adult stars of TV that started mm. in kids TV. Mm. Um, for example, at Deck, mm. um, being the biggest ones. I think they start obviously yeah. they started in uh, Bigger Grove. Nowadays, obviously, they start from kids TV. Were you a bit apprehensive in any way, thinking, "Good, you're joining the realms of kids TV," or were you just a kid and thinking, never even thought about that? Um, I think I've, I've experienced both sides of that in a strange way. I think I started off sort of um, thinking, "Oh, great, this is a great opportunity. I'm really looking forward to it." As time went on, I was thinking, sort of, um, "Well, will there come a time when I have to sort of move away from this and think, okay, I'm focusing on adult work now more than I am focusing on kids TV," and um, I think it's almost in a very strange way. I'm sort of glad that decision was taken out of my hands because obviously now we're, we're, we're not making any more of a show. So it's, it's, I'm very glad to sort of think, okay, well now I can just focus on this and I can, I can sort of put my whole energy behind it sort of thing. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that was a sad thing for kids, certainly that that decision was taken out of your hands. Yeah. So um, that CBC or the, the powers to be decided that that was that. Mm, um, mm. But it's always good to, to end on a high. Mm. Uh, rather than the ratings falling and stuff like that, and so definitely. What 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 did you enjoy about being on the show? We'll touch on that a bit. Um, I think with each series that came, I enjoyed something a little bit different. Like um, we as as the years went on, we had like different crew members sort of come and go and stuff like that. Like um, as I said before, I've made some fantastic friends on that show. Like um, not just cast members. I mean. I'm making a podcast at the minute with a cast member from Four O'Clock Club, but like, like crew members as well that like I would consider like a different. Um, and I think that is the friendships I took away from it. I think I think are the most valuable thing in a strange way. Does that make mm-hmm. any sense? No, that makes sense. Definitely. Um, that, that definitely the, the memories and the, the friends mm-hmm. are things that last forever, no matter how long the show lasts. But I think. As you said earlier, the show will go down in history, without a doubt. The, mm. um, it'll go down in the, the kids' TV history. Um, I think I'm safe to say it'll go down the realms of the, the same level as like Grange Hill and Biker Grove. Um, some adults will disagree because they won't have watched the Four O'clock Club, yeah. but um, <laughs> some of the kids from nowadays will think, "Well, Grange Hill's rubbish." It's 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 across the between the generations, yeah. but. Mm, mm. I'm not saying in any way that there's similarities with the game channel. I'm saying it's in the same level, like of mm, kids TV mm. level wise, because mm. it was it's the, the 21st century kids that, that grew up with it. Um, for you, what was the best thing about playing on? Um, to be honest with you, it was like the amount of I'm not quite sure how to word it. The amount of um, the amount of acting I had to do. I know that sounds like a very strange thing, but like um, Owen, I think, is the kind of person, uh, this was something I always thought from my youth to the last ever scene I acted as Owen sort of thing. He's the kind of person that like puts a lot of effort into interacting with other people. And like, um, especially, I remember with um, Jasmine, who played Katie, we, we were doing a lot of scenes where I'd sort of focus quite a lot on like body language and stuff and think, well, I don't really want to stand very close to you because Owen doesn't like you. I know we've got to be in this this two shot, but I don't. Can I like put something between us? Is that at all possible? And those are my favourite bits of playing Owen. I think was like sort of trying to get into his shoes, sort of five or ten minutes, and think, well, can I can I do anything to just to, to sort of tell a little bit of extra story, if that makes sense. That yeah, was one of my favourite bits. Yeah. 
that makes sense. So how, how would, like, so, so somebody says to you, they've never watched the show before, how would you describe Owen? Um, Owen is sort of the goody-two-shoes mega nerd who gets <laughs> dragged along on a load of ridiculous adventures, just through sheer happenstance more than anything. Um, that, that is essentially, I think that was actually on the character bio for, that I received before the audition for, for Owen, was um, he's sort of a goody-two-shoes, but he gets dragged along on these ridiculous escapades. Like, um, he gets into trouble because he's nearby the trouble, not because he's really doing anything. Yeah. Um, but Being in the wrong place at the right time. the best way to describe, yeah. Wrong, yes, wrong, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> wrong place at the right time um, or the right place at the wrong time depends how you want to look at it um, so what was the <laughs> what's the worst thing about playing Owen for you or what was the hardest thing I think hardest this is a very work. specific example no no yeah, I just the, the just worst, general the most specific example was um, there was this one day where we were filming at um, Owen's Owen's house of like um it was a house in sort of the local area to where we were filming and um, we were doing some scenes on the driveway and all sort of stuff. And um, Owen was like hosting a party because of course he was. And um, they put me in this enormous sort of tweed jacket. <laughs> um, and it was like the hottest day of the year. And I remember um, being like, like sewn a jacket at the start of the day and thinking this is going to be like really difficult and um, just for the rest of the day I was constantly just trying to like stand in the shade and just like stand under a tree away from the sun um, I'm not entirely sure where that came from but that was just the first you said what was the hardest thing and I was like oh yes that, that, yeah, that one day that was really hard but no um, I remember at the end of the day um, because of a sequence of events in the show Owen sort of drives his dad's car into like a little water feature in the front garden and um the water feature gets broken and he's like spraying water out and i had to stand sort of near it and i remember thinking oh that cold water like misting me is fantastic <laughs> normally i don't like getting wet but that, that today's an exception come on <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that makes sense and i like the fact that you just like, you have you were in nearly 70 episodes and that one day just mm. yep straight away come back that must that must have haunted you <laughs> <laughs> that, that much well, that the, thing, the thing that really got me about it was um the next day i sort of made a joke to the person who'd, who'd sewed me into the jacket and said so you sewed me into that big jacket again and she just looked at me and went you are and I went, you know yesterday at the start of the day when you sewed the buttons shut because, because there was a problem with the buttons and she went no look you could have taken it off if you wanted to i was like what <laughs> I had no idea at all. So I stood there in this blistering heat thinking, guys, warm here. Um, only to go in the next day and say, no, you could have just like, you could have just taken that off. That's fine. Did you watch any of that yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. Um, so, so what was your favourite storyline, including Owen? That Owen was included in. Um, there was one particular episode of Four O'Clock Club, which I think is, is probably my favourite episode, um, called Funeral, where um, Owen tries to get out of doing like a cross-country run. And he says, um, sorry, I, I can't do the cross-country. Um, my uncle has died. And he makes this, this, this excuse up on the spot. And um, the PE teacher looks at him and says to him, um, right, well, you've got the day off to go to the funeral, but I need a picture of the coffin or else you'll get in detention. And it was this, this incredible, I remember reading the script for the first time and thinking, what a strange way to set up this story. But then the actual filming of the episode, um, we went to like a, a crematorium 
and like um we had like a sort of a this obviously a fake funeral but like um these scenes where owen was getting more and more panicked throughout the course of the day where like um what if they get rid of the coffin and i can't take a photo of it what the hell am i gonna do and he was i remember uh, this is where i was desperately trying to get out of this this church pew um because the coffin was sort of receding into the wall and um Akai, who, who acted alongside me, was like holding me down on this pew and I was like fighting against him trying to get off the... That was my favourite storyline involving Owen because it was so bizarre. And like, <laughs> it's the concept of your PE teacher saying, okay, fine, have the day off, but take a photo of your uncle's coffin, please. Can you imagine being in that situation in real life? It's so absurd. Did that PE teacher get a job in the government after that? Like, <laughs> yeah, put, like you are disabled, but prove you're disabled. That kind of like, like that definitely. Well, I yeah. think you're fit for work, Garland. Yes, ah, uh, yes. You need to prove that you're at a funeral. No, you don't actually. Like, mm, mm. It's not something you should. Yeah, just maybe I'll take a selfie with this coffin. Like, <laughs> not something you normally would do, but mm, mm. that's a that's a good, the good thing about TV is yes, okay, TV is there to 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 represent. Mm. real life but mm. it's also there to add comedy and I think that sounds mm. like a, a comedic episode that just yeah that, that that's yeah. true to life because everybody's family dies and as kids you have to, to accept that and, mm. and understand mm. that but you did it in a, a comedy way so that the kids weren't getting too upset but they were understanding that the people's family died yeah definitely Completely. that was um that was uh, I remember enjoying sort of that aspect of it and um thinking about this sort of balancing up the seriousness of these sort of supporting artists that we had in it were sort of being very somber because they were literally attending a funeral and then also me trying to be funny and stressed out at the back <laughs> trying to so balance was it an actual funeral no 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 it wasn't a funeral but um oh, obviously nice. the supporting artist was like oh right this is your friend it's his funeral yeah please be sad <laughs> yeah. I you mean you were actually filming in an actual funeral like yeah, that's never happened before <laughs> So surely it was one that was oh, set up for the show. Funeral. <laughs> yeah, that, that, like, yeah. Can I can I pay a bit extra to to be again to be filming your dad's funeral? And, and so I thought, like, no, we'll pay for your funeral for your dad's funeral if you let us film. No, it was, so it was one that was set up for the show. Yes, but yes. It was, you were talking about the supporting actors had to believe that it was somebody's. Mm -hmm. That makes sense now. Sorry, misunderstood. No, no. <laughs> um, so that was your favourite storyline, including Owen. Do you have a favourite storyline that wasn't including Owen? there must have been quite a few that, that weren't. That's a harder one. That is a very hard one. There was one... I mean, Owen was, like, there, but it was kind of an Owen-adjacent story, where um, Owen discovered that... Uh, um, well, I say Owen. The, the, the sort of friend group that he was a part of discovered that two members of the group were dating, and they hadn't told the other. Like, oh, my God, this is incredible. What's, what, this is ridiculous. What's happening? And, like, we were doing all these subterfuge-type things, like hiding behind bins and sneaking around corners and it's it just i remember filming it with 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 danny and, and grace and um we were just there like we're just hiding behind bins this is bizarre but it was just it was, it was sort of really good to do and i remember thinking as i read it in the script i actually thought oh oh my god oh it was i was kind of shocked at the same time it was great and yeah you sit behind this bin going i'm getting paid for this i'm a kid and i'm getting paid to sit behind this bin <laughs> Yeah, I can, I can imagine. But that, that is what kids do. Like, that mm. is a true choice. So kids, when they find out their, their friends are dating, they, mm. they would, not necessarily behind a bin, but they would stalk out and, and, and yeah, spy yeah. on them and stuff. Mm. So that, that, I can believe that we did it. I'm sure we, everybody, not necessarily everybody, but a lot of people would have done that mm. as kids, certainly. Mm. Um, 
a slightly harder question, and you can't answer Owen to this one, right? Ah, You're right. not allowed to answer Owen. <laughs> Who's your favourite character in the Four O'Clock Club? Character. So you don't have to worry about who plays okay. them. It's sort of a, a toss-up, really, because there's Mr. Bell, who played the head teacher for, for an awfully long time, and um, some of his characterizations and his, his mannerisms were just hilarious. Um, Simon, who, who played Mr. Bell, is a really, really funny man, just, just in, in terms of just talking to him and, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and it was just a pleasure to watch him act out these absurd situations because that's that's what mr bell sort of embroiled himself into was like oh no, yes i can perform magic at the school's fundraising event or whatever it was and it was just kind of ridiculous but I, it was a good character with good characterization i really liked that um and the other one would have to be eli who just consistently said things that didn't make sense um <laughs> there was this one episode where um we were at like a, a music studio in, in in the show and um Eli was stuffing his pockets with like there was this bowl of like sweets at the reception, and Eli was sort of stuffing his pockets with lollipops and, and sort of boiled sweets and all that sort of stuff. And um, I, I, I went to the room. Um, you can't take all of those. They're for anybody that comes through. And he goes, "You're just jealous because you can't fit any any in your pockets because they're full of fish eggs." And it was just out of completely out of nowhere, never addressed again. This absurd line and. I would reply, look, I don't have fish eggs in my pockets, and I don't know why you keep saying I do. And it's it's just it's these little tiny bits of characterization like that that just show that, like, under the surface of Eli was this really strange, confusing character that didn't make much sense. It was brilliant. That, that, yeah, that, I can understand why, why that would fit into your, your, your um, favourite character, definitely. Um, that, I think that was a bit like me. Just as a kid, just coming out with random sentences and <laughs> that, that made no that made no sense. They made sense to me, mm. but made no sense to anyone or the the, the conversation or it. I still do it to, to, to this day, probably to a certain extent. Mm. I'm sure my, my friends would, would agree with that. Um, <laughs> you, you kind of touched on on the head teacher and things there. Obviously, you were kids mm. in the show. Well, I take it the adults were, were very helpful and and did they mm. help you mm. and did you learn a lot from the adults? Certainly, yeah. And I'd say it was Simon in particular that I learned sort of the most from on, on, on set. Because um, I think there was, there was a lot of sort of... I think it was Simon that I learned sort of the most from on set in that, like, he, he knows a lot about acting. And it, it comes through in his performances, but, like, it's, it's... In my mind, it's quite strange to consider that, yes, acting is something that you sort of do with, like... It's like an emotional judgment of the situation. But in a strange way, there's also a lot of, like thinking that goes into a performance and I think that's what that side of things is what Simon helped me with and like um looking at the script and saying well how does Owen feel about x how what is his reaction to this and I would often talk to Simon and say I, I just don't know how I'm going to deliver this line what what do you think and we talk about it and that was really helpful and um I, I really enjoyed those sort of interactions I had with Simon and I'd say things in the script that were like I really like that bit it's like Mr Bell read that on Facebook that morning and then now he's saying it in the in the episode for some reason and i think i really enjoyed those interactions with simon yeah well that's that's good to hear that especially like as kids you you were mm. you were you're again we were talking about it earlier you were absorbing everything you could from the, the set and, and from the, mm, mm. the the more experienced actors because that that's as much as you had experience now at that point the, the adults were the, the the most experienced and um yeah. 
and you had the, the regulars, and then you also mentioned earlier you had the, the kind of guest stars, and the, mm. you had people that, that came in for one or two episodes, and then, and then you had people that were longer running, like yourself, and mm. and and different people. So, but I'm sure there'll be fans out there listening, um, mm. thinking, I want to start acting. And mm. um, what are you? What are Lucy's top three tips to anyone thinking about starting? Mm. Okay. Forget the pandemic. So forget. If, if we were in a okay. normal world, what would be your mm. three top tips? Okay. Um, this is going to sound a bit a bit weird, but number one, learn your lines. It's um, it's it's one of my great bugbears on set. Is um, somebody turns up and they've done a lot of preparation on their their characterization and stuff, but they haven't learned their lines. It's like, oh, come on, <laughs> learn your lines. Um, the job. Mm, uh, learn the lines. It's like a basic thing, but it's surprising how often that comes up in the in the day to day. Number two would be to sort of people watch. I think, at least from my point of view, acting is sort of creating things you've seen, but in a different setting. Like um, if you're uh, performing a, a certain argument or whatever, it might be hard for you because you haven't had an argument with this sort of emotional stakes or this sort of specific disagreement or whatever in your life. So by people watching or by um, doing stuff like that, you can sort of say, okay, well, what's that couple over there having coffee at the coffee shop, what are they talking about? What 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 are they going to do? Are they going to go home tonight and watch a movie? Are they finished shopping? Are they what's going to happen next? I think it's that sort of consideration of just people around you in the world. I think that's what helped me most. Is um, I remember this acting lesson I had a, a long, a long time ago. Now um, I was doing a speech from Faust and. It was, what was it now? I, I was this bit that I was really, really struggling with. And um, Faust was saying, like, um, I'm about to die. So I, I want to sort of repent my sins. I want to enter heaven and all this sort of stuff. And I was sort of really struggling with it. Well, <laughs> how am I supposed to relate to a bloke that's made a deal with the devil? How, how can I possibly relate to that? Um, I remember my acting coach sort of talking me through it and saying, well, consider situations where, like, um, you've been down to a deadline or consider situations where you felt up against incredible odds or think about and just sort of describing those emotions and sort of cherry picking the ones that you think might fit the scene best and trying to recreate that almost um so sort of a bit of people watching sort of a bit of your yourself watching which i don't think is a term but i, I think it gets across what i'm trying to say it's a term now we'll, we'll make it a term now okay <laughs> <laughs> um this myth Third one's a bit of a, a bad photocopy of my second one, but we're, we're going to go with it. Um, right. I think absorbing a lot of like media of actors you admire, I think, is, is a good a good idea and a good thing to do. Sort of, um, I think it's it's incredibly valuable to watch an actor that you admire, an actor that you wish you could act like. You watch them perform a scene or something and think, look at how they're doing that. Look at how they've said those words. Look at the the gestures and stuff that they're pairing with it. Because I think. Um, it's it's one of the things I struggled with most in, in in sort of past years, sort of getting slightly better at acting and learning stuff on the four o'clock club was what the hell am I supposed to do with my hands when I'm just delivering this speech? What am I supposed to do with my arms? Um, and it's something that's it's hard to remember in a strange way because when you're talking to someone, you're looking sort of in their eyes with what their hands are doing. So mm -hmm. I, I found it quite difficult to sort of do the people watching thing in that sense. So I would say, all oh, right, well consider similar scenes or whatever it might be from movies that I like or TV shows that I like 
and think, okay, well, what are they doing with their hands? Is it is it this? Is it that? And, and, and consider it that way. I thought that was always weirdly helpful. Nobody ever suggested that to me, but I thought it was quite good. No, that, that's that's a good one as well. That's definitely that's because that that you do need to to worry about what you're doing. Like me, mm, when I'm mm. talking, I thought my hands like my hands are going yeah. all in place and everything. But yeah, it's it's good to know to to learn what to do and and to mm. absorb everything, like everything from from everybody, and because you never know who you're going to be playing, not necessarily as in who mm. exactly you're going to be playing. Like you're not going to sit there and watch like Kim Kardashian just in case you're playing her in the future, but yeah. like watch everybody because you don't know what kind of person you're going to be playing. Mm. Like you could be playing one minute you could be playing a king, the next minute you could be playing just a, a normal banker from London. Yeah, that's the great is. thing about acting. You just never know. So keep your eyes open and, and watch everything. That's like some good advice there. And uh, some good mm. tips. Um <laughs> Another one, obviously, as a, a celebrity, um, and you use that word however you want, but yeah, mm. you're, you're, you're well known in the industry now. Um, you obviously, you're asked a lot for, I'm sure, for tips. And But another one is is being spotted by fans. Mm, mm. Um, have you been spotted anywhere strange? And what was that like as kid? Because obviously um, you, were, you, were, you were younger, so you were... I'm not sure about spotted anywhere strange as such. Um, there's two two situations come to mind. Um, the first one was when I was a kid. I was about 14, 13? No, yeah, 14-ish. And um, I think I'd got a day off from 4 o'clock club that day. And um, I'd gone into the Apple store because we filmed it in Manchester. And so I was like, oh, well, we don't have an Apple store like where, in, in Stoke, where I'm from. So I'll go in because I was thinking I'd get an iPhone. And don't need to know why I was in an Apple store. But anyway, um, I was there. You're making a Samsung. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to get a Samsung from the Apple store and uh, I went in and um, I think I was just looking at the different phones or iPods or something. And um, all of a sudden I heard sort of from across the little sort of, you know, the terrifying floating tables that they have in Apple stores. On the other side of the table, I heard someone go, are you that, are you that, that kid from Four O'Clock Club? And I look up and it was like a group of school kids that were there in like uniform and stuff. I was thinking, oh my God, this is, this could go one of two ways. And um, and they sort of said to me, um, yeah, you're that kid from Four O'Clock Club, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, I play Owen in Four O'Clock Club. And then there was about 20 school kids all of a sudden were like all around me, like, oh my God, can we have photos? Can we do this, this, this? It was like, it was like being mobbed in a very small microcosm way. It was really strange. Um, but yeah, like I did the whole sort of like standing for photos, having a bit of a chat and the whole thing. And um, sort of shortly after that, I, I remember sort of leaving and seeing like, um, I, I mean, Let's be honest, Apple stores don't have security guards, but like the sort of people that were walking around with like the um, checkout things around their neck. Um, I remember seeing someone come up to the edge of the group and go, what's, what's that over there? Who's this bloke? Who's this kid that's just walked in and all these people know him for some reason? Which was quite, it was strange to go from a situation that was so like, oh, lots of people know me to there's this bloke looking at me with no idea who I am. It was quite a, it was a nice sort of, um, it was, I don't know, it was nice in a weird way. I quite liked that. Um, the other weird one was uh, it was on my first date with my now wife. Um, we I think we'd gone out for some food and then we were walking um, sort of past the, the restaurants and um, somebody spotted me. I was like, oh, hi. Um, sorry, I'm just I'm just out at the minute. So, so I'll just be five minutes. Can I have a photo? And I was like, yeah, of course you can have a photo. That's that's fine. And it was quite a strange sort of trial by fire to just be like, you know, this is our first date, but can you like, I'm sorry, do you mind if I just deal with this for a second? Sorry. 
um, it was really bizarre, but yeah. The, per- the perks of being famous, or the, the, <laughs> not the perks, but the disadvantages of being famous, uh, you get spotted no matter where you are, what, whatever you're doing, mm. um, 100%. Um, one of my hobbies is going to, to different events and things and meeting mm. celebrities, um, but I, I don't I don't spot stop them on dates and stuff. I go to like red carpet events and all that. I go to them. Mm, where mm. They know they're going to be spotted. Yeah. Um, I should perhaps point out that they weren't like stalking me through the restaurants and stuff. No, 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 no. Like, yeah. They just happen to be at the same place at the same time. I yeah, know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, I'm not saying that. But um, yeah, it's, it must be kind of awkward. Did your you mentioned your your now wife? Did did mm. did she know who you were? Had she watched Four O'clock Club and stuff? Yeah, yeah, I, I've 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 known my my partner for years and years now. Um, I, I think we met when we were about eleven, actually. So yeah, she she completely knew. Oh, so um, it wasn't strange for her that because no, no. you hadn't met her no. in Tinder like, and. Oh, this... <laughs> no, no, it was. Um, I remember afterwards, I was just sort of saying to her, "Yeah, that happens sometimes." Sorry. Yeah. Um, it was quite a, just like I say, a really bizarre experience. That's it. Nice, but but it must be nice for for you just to to feel. Because I've, I've touched these people's lives, I've, mm, mm. I've, I've, I've made an impact, even in a small way, you've made an impact. Mm. Yeah, it is nice. It's, um, it's sort of especially nice when you can see someone just genuinely happy after, you, after you've, you've met them. Like, don't get me wrong, it's lovely when someone's like really excited and like, oh, I know you can see these, can I have a photo and all that. But it's lovely when you see somebody and they walk away like, oh, it's really nice to meet you. Okay, I'm going to go now. <laughs> and it's just quite sweet to just sort of see them genuinely smiling and just be like, oh, I've made that person's day in a, in a strange way. That was really nice. Yeah. No, that's it. I know, like, I, I don't know your side of it, but I know their side of it and having met somebody that you, you, you've watched for, for years, and in your case, as years, mm-hmm. um, on TV, and, and you finally meet them and they are exactly, not exactly like a character, but exactly what you think they are. Because um, yeah, yeah. let's not be carried. I've met people and they're not exactly what they think they are. <laughs> Naming mm. no names. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Moving on slightly, you, you talked earlier about people that you look up to mm. um, and, and like, absorbing what they're doing and things and, and watching them perform. Who who do you look up to? Who is who do you? Goodness me, it's quite a question. Um... I think it's 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 strange for me because I, I find there's a lot of actors where like I love them in one performance and then the next film they're in I'll think eh. and, and I'll, I'll sort of think yeah that was good but eh. like um I was a, I'm a big big fan of Hiddleston who, who did who obviously was Loki in all the Marvel movies yeah um, but also he did a series called The Night Manager do you remember what yes you know, I remember The Night Manager really, really yeah good yeah and um, he also did called a, a Guillermo del Toro film called Crimson Peak which was sort of, it was quite well accepted at the time, but it sort of faded a bit into obscurity after a while. And that was one of my favourite performances of his. I remember watching that film and thinking, that's absolutely incredible. Like, um, there's quite a few sort of twisty bits back and forth, and it's not just the sort of, ooh, horror movie in an old house that it uh, sort of appeared on the surface. Um, I remember thinking, that's really incredible. Watching him make this this fantastic performance alongside these these other actors who were doing fantastic performances, I really... Like loved watching that and thinking, it, like there's so many layers almost to what he's performing. It's like, um, obviously, like in a in in films and stuff, you think, oh well, their motivations are complicated and interesting and stuff. But it's rare that you can see it on an actor's face. I remember watching that film and thinking, he's genuinely conflicted about this decision. I can sort of see it on his face, and uh, that was, I think, for me, that was a big thing. Where I remember, I remember 
watching films all of a sudden from like a more analytical point of view and thinking oh that's really interesting how have they done that or whatever it might be yeah no that, that, that definitely makes sense and, and he is a fantastic actor i remember um i'm right in saying it was him that was in he was in a west end play um mm. just he's done loads of, of 2019 well, yeah. a, a couple of years ago certainly not certainly not last year because the west end's been shut for almost a year now but um mm. it was either 2018 2019 anyway um, I remember then my friend was going, we have to go and see it, we have to go and see it. And I'm like, I don't like plays. I don't really like find them yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, but she's no, I, I'm, she was a massive Tom Edwards fan. And I have to go and see it, I have to go and see it. And actually, it was fantastic. It was only three people. That was literally, there was only the three people in it. And it was, it was fantastic. But um, no, he is a fantastic actor, definitely. Mm, I think that's... And I remember the night manager, definitely. Yeah, I think that's what you said about only being three people on stage. I think that's kind of the, the magic of a, of a stage performance is it's li like um, literally three or four people keeping you keep, keeping you enraptured for two hours or something or even longer. I, I just think it's incredible, really. Yeah, the only thing with plays is sometimes you can feel longer than that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I just, yeah, I do know the, the actors are fantastic. They play like the, the cats. I'm not just lagging anything off. It's just I'm not massive. I'm a, a musical person more than this mm, place. Mm. I like to, to feel entertained. Um, sure. But next up, what, what's next for Lewis? We've talked enough um, about Lewis. To be honest with you, I would really like to get more into voice acting work. I've been doing a lot of voice reels and stuff recently. And um, obviously now I've got the equipment. I've, I mean, I, you can sort of see on the Zoom call, I've got this fancy microphone I bought and stuff. Yeah. And I really enjoy it. The voice reels that I'm doing and recording, I really enjoy it. And I've, I've always really enjoyed that sort of stuff. That's the kind of direction I'd quite like to go into, um, along with more creative stuff about like, um, like Danny and I have been working on the podcast, obviously, but we've also been considering doing sort of more producerial type things like sort of, can we make something that's good? Can we put our heads together and write something or, or direct something or whatever it might be that's really good? And because <laughs> to be quite honest, we spend a lot of time slagging off different directors and actors so can it be nice to say oh, actually we're all right at it look at this thing look at this thing that we did that we're yeah. okay well i like to slag them off we've got we've got this in the name again mm -hmm. but um yeah I, I, that's what's next for me i think i want to on, on the acting side of things i'd like to go more into sort of voice work if, if that's at all possible um but sort of on the just in my life sort of sense i think i'd like to go more into sort of more creative things more sort of writing of, of fiction so but behind the scenes a bit more than, than yeah. just the acting no, that, that makes sense, and it it's it's a good a good part to have. You means you've got all avenues open, um, mm -hmm. if you like. Especially, well, we we've learned a lot, um, in the last year with to do with acting and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's depends who you listen to. If you listen to the government, you have to retrain and be oh, acting useless. <laughs> no, no, we're not going to get controversial. Don't worry. Um, but if you they did backpedal very quickly with that one, I might add like extremely quickly, mm, mm. Um, which is quite good. Um, to a certain extent, they made up sense, but we're not going into that. Um, but obviously, they, they've obviously learned, obviously as well, that the apps is very, very much needed as well, because mm. if you had taken the apps completely at the lockdown, I, yeah, yeah, yeah I'd, have been, I'd have been in prison for murder in the first lockdown, because <laughs> without... Because if you look at you, the arts, is, is music, it's TV, it's film, it's mm. drama, it's it's podcasts, it's anything mm. that that gets you through the day. And like 
if you look at the viewing, okay, most it's been streaming, unfortunately, in the last year, mm. and not in the live TV, not live TV, but like BBC and ITV and stuff. Um, but if you look at like Netflix, if you figures for Netflix, if you're taking that away, because mm. to take the apps away is to take Netflix away, and like people wouldn't wouldn't cope. Yeah, so it is a very very much needed industry. Um, we knew that anyway, but we know it even more now. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that. That's um, it, it, it's the thing that really did get me um, sort of throughout lockdown was like, if I because I listen to a lot of audio dramas, that's something that I'm I'm sort of big into. Uh, no particular reason, but I, that's something I've been quite big yeah. into for a while. And um, I remember thinking, these the, these audio dramas I'm listening to, that's this is like literally four or five people in a cupboard with a microphone. It's it's not like a big 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 budget BBC or Netflix thing it's this independent thing and I think to take to take away sort of the arts as a concept you're depriving those four or five people of their not only of their creative outlet then you're depriving their thousands upon thousands of listeners to such a wonderful material do you know what I mean oh definitely like without a day I don't think the arts are not going anywhere they'll struggle maybe yeah. for a bit but they're not going anywhere without a doubt mm. um they're too strong-minded to us as the government <laughs> I've met quite a few folk from the arts and they're definitely too strong-minded. And the fans mm. are too strong-minded as well. Mm. Like the fans, mm. as I say, I've got a lot of friends in the West End and obviously the West End hasn't performed or hardly performed certainly in the last year. Mm. Um, and 95% of the, the, the people in the West End haven't. But as I keep telling them, yes, okay, you haven't worked on it and that's not good enough, but th- it will be back. Like the fans will 100% be back as soon as it can. And same mm. with the, the, the TV. As soon as you start making the dramas and the, and the, the TV shows again, that people will, will start watching again. Like, we, we haven't stopped watching, but they'll start, like, the fan bases will start coming up and everything. So certainly, the arts will not die. There's no doubt about it. They might change the way that shows are made and mm. things are changing. Um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, is it? No, uh, not necessarily. No, I think in a lot of ways, change is sort of necessary for growth. And I think that... Um, Certainly to consider maybe actors need slightly more equipment in their homes or whatever it might be to, to send in self-tapes or to send in their, their own contribution project, whatever it might be. I think that these, it's that old adage of necessity being the mother of invention. I think that now that, now that things are so different to the sort of normal world, as it were, I think maybe this, this, the need for change or the need for different things will, it will show in our, in our media that we produce in sort of saying, oh, well, there are a lot more podcasts certainly today than there were before anybody had ever heard the word coronavirus. I think that people have sort of got this time now where they're sort of thinking, well, I can now I'm furloughed from whatever it might be. I can sort of explore this this creative instinct I have. I can I can make something if I want to, and I think that's a fantastic thing to be able to to be able to give people that freedom and and give people their ability to to make their own contribution to the arts. I think that's utterly wonderful. No, I, definitely. I've had this idea. For, for a while now quite a while um but obviously um as we say now i've got the time because i've, I've yeah. been made furloughed so mm. um but you, you talk about podcasts and um, obviously you're, you're on a podcast at the moment but you you mentioned earlier um that you run your own podcast um it's called yeah, shouting yeah. into the void yes yes you want to tell us a bit about it tell us listeners sure um ostensibly shouting into the void is a podcast where me and my best friend dan talk about films or TV or books or music or whatever it might be. But in reality, it's 99% just utter nonsense, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> There's, um, we, we talk at great lengths in some episodes about like a, a film that we've 
talked about, uh, like at the minute, we're talking about all the different Star Wars films because The Mandalorian obviously has been quite big recently. So we made an episode about that. And we thought, right, well, while we're in the this sort of neck of the woods, let's talk about all the Star Wars stuff that we we can consider. So we sort of have done. And like in our most recent episode, we sort of talked a lot about like narrative through lines and how sometimes plot holes in script can be perhaps a good thing or perhaps a bad thing. And we talked a lot about like the sort of the film side of things, but we spoke before that about the original Star Wars trilogy. And that episode was just mostly nonsense in a lot of ways. I think there's, with such classic films as that, you sort of talk about like, obviously this is great, this is great, this is great. Uh, Maybe this could have been different. Okay, so what did you have for tea last night? And it, it becomes something extremely different, which um, is something I think I love about our podcast. Because as we, if you sort of go through our back catalogue and listen to our first episode, we talk sort of very seriously about ex machina. We say, oh, Dom Hall Gleason did this, and Oscar Isaac did this, and it's really good, and no, 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 no. Um, and nowadays, we, we, I think it's become much more silly, but I think that's both a sign of just the we're currently living in i think everybody needs a bit of a bit of silliness from time to time but i think okay. it's also that we're, we're having a lot of fun with it yeah and then Dan, and if you look look at the the, the the really successful podcasts which obviously have the massive names on it hosting it um they, they're nine times out of ten just a lot of rubbish like not in a bad way but just like them just talking and <laughs> no no i don't and mean, being yeah. um yeah. human you know what i mean um so yeah, that, that's and at the end the, of the day, the, our podcast, yeah, about movies and stuff. At the end of the day, it's just two best mates having a chat. That's that's sort of the that's the shape of it, really. And I think that's something that it's sort of nice in a strange way to listen to, to be a part of. To I think that it's something that a lot of people really like. No, that that's it. Um, that's good. So you and that's on all major streaming services. How, how can the, yes, the listeners get that? Yeah, wherever well, well, it gets podcasts, you can search for "Shouting into the Void" and we'll be there. We will, we will uh, tag you in posts, tag you, and um, they will, will direct the listeners to that after they listen to ours. Uh, <laughs> that will direct them to yours. That's something um, that, I, uh, that we always do on, um, always do on the podcast. People say, oh, yeah, I was listening to this obscure audio drama. I was watching this TV show. You should go watch. After you've finished our episode, after you've finished this yeah, podcast. Yeah. After you've finished you this podcast, go and, go and have a listen to it to shout into the void. Don't worry, you've got not, not much longer to, to go to listen, but now we're going to the generic TV. Um, ah, we've nice. talked about the Four O'Clock Club, we've talked about Lewis a bit more, um, and we've talked about podcasts, but now we're mm. going to generic TV. Now, um, as I keep saying it in all the episodes, we're, in, we're currently in lockdown three, mm-hmm. um, feels like lockdown 55, um, <laughs> but it's lockdown three. Um, what TV, has, TV we're looking at here has got mm. you through lockdowns well i've been watching a lot of i mean i this is no change from normal life i love star trek i i i I always i've got some star trek series that i'm sort of watching or re-watching in the background sort of thing um but recently i've been i've had a bit of a weird sort of um binge of like period dramas like um recently netflix released bridgerton i'm not sure if you've seen it yes i've seen it yes yeah and it's it's just it's, it's sort of a a weird merger between Downton Abbey and Gossip Girl. <laughs> oh my god, that is literally what it is, yes. Exactly, yeah. But um never thought it that way, binged exactly the entire series. Yeah, we, we binged the entire series for about two days. Um but I think it's that kind of escapist media is what's been getting you through lockdown a bit. Things like Bridgerton where you just it's just weird watching this show and thinking, 
God, imagine having to wear those ridiculous suits or ridiculous dresses. Or imagine having to memorize all these different rules of formal conversations and different types of what it, it's it's i really like that show and i think i've watched a lot of different period dramas and stuff i think it's it's it's, it's fantastic like don't get me wrong it's it's great but i think the, the one of the good things is i think that's genuinely what happened in those days like yeah upstairs downstairs and downtown abbey and all those kind of period dramas gone in the past mm. have been what's happened but not exactly what happened i think bridgerton's touching the uh, uh, or touching the void, if you like, touching the, the void of, of things that, that did happen, but maybe mm. weren't spoken about in those days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's like, we have a different culture nowadays and we talk about more things more openly, whereas back then, things that happened in Bridgerton, and we don't want to spoil too much, but it's certainly no. not a programme to watch with your grandmother. Certainly um, not, no. <laughs> no, nah, um, that's definite. It's a kind of, hmm, yes, def- different one. Um, enjoyable, very enjoyable, definitely. But you, you talked about Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Um, so you're a big, a big Trekkie. Yes. Yes. That's, Very much uh, so, yeah. I um, I think TNG is, is the one for me. I absolutely love Next Generation. I love, I mean, I love Patrick Stewart, full stop. But um, as, as Picard, he's got this, this, this undeniable charisma that's just, like, impossible to deny. My kitchen, I've actually got a, um, a Captain Picard and Riker salt and pepper shaker set. That I, I um, stumbled across on eBay, I think, and I thought <laughs> looking for looking for things to watch for the list. Am I ever going to use that? Say that again. I says I think uh, stumbled across maybe is not the right word. I think it's maybe looking for. <laughs> yes, I was stalking through eBay's catalogue of Star Trek memorabilia, um, but no, I, I sort of stumbled across that on eBay, and I thought I must have it. <laughs> I, I, I must have this ridiculous thing in my kitchen. <laughs> that, that makes sense. I think we've all got yeah, a bit of. I love Star Trek. Yeah, no, I remember Star Trek like I think it was I think it was Next Generation um, that was on BBC Two when I was a kid. So you had like the mm. Simpsons, then the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and then it was Star Trek, and uh, that's how yes. the, the night worked. Mm. And that that was our. It was like Greenchill and that, and then it went on to that, and it literally was our night was was homework and then Greenchill. Yeah. And then the Simpsons and all that, and it just literally went on that mm. in a, a loop. Um, so yeah, I do remember Star Trek, and it was it was good. Like it was, um, yeah, mm. a, a good program. That, that's a different one. That, I like that. I think I'm I'm a big fan of. Mm. On you go. I think I'm a big fan of sci-fi in general. I think um, just in case of like if books and stuff like that, I love really well-made sci-fi. I think is is um, I think it's one of those things that's almost got a bad rap in the public eye is, is sci-fi is like um like um i think if sci-fi had a pr guy he'd have his work cut out for him but i think that really good sci-fi i think is, is one of my great sort of, of, of loves of like um you know the movie i am legend with will smith yes yeah the original book of that written by written by richard matheson is such fantastic obscure sci-fi and it's a completely different sort of film but like it's. I, I think I, I really do value these sort of books that have a strange lesson in them about like it's vampires in the apocalypse, but also <laughs> it's got like a weird lesson about what it means to be human and what it means to sort of be in touch with yourself. And I think that's uh, that's what I really value about good sci-fi is that kind of it's like a, a, a sort of a lesson and an interesting concept or sort of a moral belief dressed up in, with like a spaceship. <laughs> well, <laughs> that makes my, sense. My thing. No, that definitely that makes sense. It's a good point to take, and um, I've got. To, I I don't know if I've ever thought about it, but I, I I do watch more sci-fi than I thought. 
Like, mm. just think about it here. Like, it's amazing what's classed as sci-fi. Um, and obviously, mm. the biggest sci-fi at the moment probably is Doctor Who. Um, yeah. That's certainly that's massive. Um, yeah. Do you we, you a fan of Doctor Who? On, on, on our podcast, yeah, yeah, massive fan of Doctor Who. I, I have been for years and years because um, what you were saying about how you go from sort of Grange Hill to The Simpsons to I think Doctor Who was part of that for me because um, I was five when they launched the sort of rebooted series. So I was sort of watching it and oh. didn't get it. And then I sort of grew up with it. Um, you just made me feel old there, sorry. You just made me feel really old. <laughs> oh, I can only apologise. Um, but yeah, we, we, we have like, um, uh, on, on the podcast, we have our, like our weekly episodes. We pick a movie or whatever. But we're also episode by episode going through all of the reboots, the Doctor Who sort of new who sort of thing from 2005 onwards. Um, both Danny and I are big fans of Doctor Who and, and talk a lot about, like, um, as I say, there are episodes of Doctor Who with these obscure moral lessons, which you, sometimes you might have to read into them a bit harder than you would with some other episodes. But I think that's, uh, I hold out for those really good episodes of Doctor Who. So, yeah, I am a big fan. I think a lot of people are. Right, okay. But bit of a hard question then. Who's taking over for Jodie? Sorry, say that again? Who's taking over for Jodie? I, I Would you like to see? No plans to actually quit, but I'd like to see. Um, I don't know, actually, it's been announced that this is our last season. Oh, well, I'm, I'm way behind the times then. But, oh, no, um, it was announced that the, that the next season has our last. She's, she's quit. Oh, okay. Well, um, to be honest with you, whenever I think of an actor I'd like to see in a certain role, I always get pronged by a casting director that knows much more than I do. Um, <laughs> Like, the best example I can give is um, for years and years I was thinking I'd really like to see Tom Hiddleston play James Bond because I was like the night manager is, is like his audition for that role surely um, and, and, then I was, and then through time I've been thinking actually no maybe that's not the case maybe that's not the case and I think the thing I really see with this point with is with the Marvel movies and TV shows they almost always cast an actor I have never heard of and then they are always incredible yeah. And I think that's something I've always been amazed by. So I, I couldn't possibly put a name to um, who I wanted the next Doctor to be because it, I, I will always be wrong. <laughs> the one thing I do think about Doctor Who is that in recent years it has had some trouble with writing, I think, more than anything. In that, like, um, I think that a lot of Stephen Moffat's writing was a bit... It, it was good, but I, I, every episode that Stephen Moffat wrote, I think, well, it was good, but what about this obscure thing that you haven't considered? Or, and then I think Chris Chibnall took over, obviously, and I thought, well, good, but eh, what about this thing? Replacing the lead actor, I think that the lead actors in Doctor Who always do amazing work with what they're given in a very strange yeah. way. Like, um, makes sense. for example, Peter Capaldi, some of his speeches were so very emotive and so very wonderful. Um, but then I, I would always analyse the episode and think, Hang on, that story didn't actually make sense. But I think replacing the lead actor, you can get the best actor in the world, but I think there are still some sort of base, sort of almost writing things that need need a quick looking over. No, that makes sense. I think a lot of people say that, but Jodie, she she did the best the thought she was given. Um, she was um, definitely wasn't yeah. given maybe the best storylines in the world, but um, that's why David Tennant, I think, was, was brilliant, because at that point, I think that was the pinnacle of, so far of, of the reboot of, of Doctor Who writing wise was, was the David Tennant series and that's why I think he got, he'll, they'll all go down in history for being Doctor Who, for being one of the most iconic TV characters in yeah. history but 
Um, I think he'll go down in, uh, as one of the best, certainly, in everybody's eyes because of the writing. As well as the acting. I'm not, David Tennant's a fantastic actor. I couldn't agree more, yeah. Um, but the writing I mean, David Tennant has done... He's done so much since. Where, like, um, he's got these sort of core sort of David Tennant aspects, but he just brings something... He's just such a wonderful actor. Who's brilliant in, in Jessica Jones as Kilgrave, who's brilliant in Good Omens as Aziraphale. He's just such a good actor. And I think that combined with Russell T. Davis's fantastic writing, I think it was just, it was a match made in heaven. It was fantastic. Well, he's actually, he's my actor of last year, without a doubt, because when he portrayed oh. Dez, did you watch Dez on ITV? Mm. The one about the, the killer? Did, actually. He no, played, no, I'm sorry, I didn't. didn't oh. ITV player going what his acting skills. Mm. He plays obviously a psychopath. Like he's he's a real person, and and people yeah. say oh he's glorifying the person, but he does not. He plays him beautifully. Like he plays him as the psycho that he was or he is because he's still alive, I'm sure. Um, mm. but he he mm. plays him in, in a fantastic way, but still keeps him mm. as a, a horrible person. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. he's just oh yeah. that was a yeah. Fantastic. Anyway, we, we digress. Um, <laughs> what one TV show would you love to be in? And you can be as unrealistic as you want here. <laughs> or realistic. Um, to be perfectly honest with you, after watching The Mandalorian, it's given me like a very sort of unique respect for that universe and sort of thinking, um, I love the idea of starring in this, or not starring in, but being part of this show that's like sort of post-apocalyptic in Star Wars. I think that that that's something I'd love to be a part of that world. Just sort of because um, I just think it asks so many questions that can be answered with sort of small performances or nods to different things, and I'd I'd love to be a part of that. That makes sense. Yeah, Mandalorian. I'll be honest, I haven't watched it yet. Um, there's just so I'm many things that are my. Uh, it's on my watch list. It genuinely is on mm. my watch list, but there's just so many things on my watch list at the moment. Um, one 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 question that we've added because it's yourself is what one what's your favourite TV kids TV show? You don't have to answer the four o'clock club if you don't want to. <laughs> um, to be honest with you, one I re- really remember from my childhood was Am I High? Ah, yeah. Yeah, that's the first mate Sam Strike. I remember. Um, what, what was I? I remember going to school and thinking about like the the pencils that they had that sort of lit up on the end and thinking about how it would be so cool if you had like a, a like a pencil where you press the rubber on the end and it did something like cool like spy tech and all that and i'm thinking about the it was like a light switch wasn't it that sort of slid across and was like a, a finger a thumbprint scanner yeah go i just i remember really loving that show yeah same i, I do remember that one yeah really loving tuning in every week that was such a good one <laughs> I know that one that one yeah do remember that one mm. um what one tv show would you bring back Ooh, that's a good question. Um, there's a comedy uh, called Bluestone 4-2. Are you aware of it? It sounds familiar. Yes, it was a BBC sitcom about Bluestone 4-2 with this group of soldiers who were in, I think it was Afghanistan, and they were sort of a bomb disposal squad. And it sounds like a really weird premise for a sitcom, but it really worked because they all had this sort of very fantastic and um, sort of they never made light of any of the serious issues in the show but they also always sort of brought a smile to your face and, and it was really funny at the same time and I just think it's absolutely fantastic it got three seasons and then I think way back when BBC3 because it was a BBC3 sitcom but BBC3 went online and I think 
uh, Bluestone 4-2 just never got greenlit for a fourth season. I think it was one of those things where I don't think it was ever cancelled, cancelled. I think it just never got greenlit. Um, I would love another series of that. I think that'd be really good. I wrote it down because I'll need to check that one out. Um, I'm sure you'll still be able to get it somewhere. Um, Brit Box or something will have it online, I'm sure. sure. Um, We don't get much controversial in this podcast, but the one thing we do ask is what one TV show would you bin? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I can't think of anything very specific. This is the really frustrating thing because it's like it's almost... My, my main frustrations with TV shows is when they start to repeat storylines that they've already done, but sort of dress it up slightly differently or do some <laughs> Sorry, got bad coffee. <laughs> no, um, I know exactly what you mean. Um, the only thing that... I'm really sorry, but I can't think of anything at all. Um, because there's things where, like, I think oh, they've gotten worse through the years, but I also think they have the potential to go back to being good or go back to being better than they ever were sort of thing like um recently my wife and i have watched called the midwife because that was on netflix and um it was sort of really good at the start and it had sort of a bit of a decline in quality but then it was very variable like some episodes were stunningly brilliant and some episodes were a bit less good it's like well i don't want to get it off the air because there's a lot of potential in it. Just see what I mean. Yeah, and a lot of viewers would like my grand specifically would disagree with you there. Yes, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> like a lot of viewers would disagree. It's one of mm. BBC's biggest dramas certainly over the moment. Yeah, totally. Because yeah. um, it, it's still it gets millions on Christmas Day. Like it's yeah, it, it really does. One of the mm. most watched TV shows on Christmas Day. Mm. The Christmas special this year was um because I remember what because we watched it and it was really good um because they filmed it while during the sort of pandemic and um they had like social distancing rules throughout the film set and stuff but i didn't notice they did a lot of like clever sort of camera trickery and stuff where not only did i just not notice it was i, I never even considered it for a second i was just like yeah this is just a normal day it, I, I thought that was it's a very specific skill to have in this very unique world we found ourselves in but i was kind of very impressed by it yeah, no, that's that's why I'm like I don't watch them often, but I'm watching like soaps and that more often at the moment because of that reason, just to see the mm. the, the the fight scenes that that they were two meters apart and the kissing scenes that they were yeah. they probably weren't even in the same room as and it's quite like the yeah. editing is is fantastic at the moment and it, it mm. has the camera trickery and the, the camera work and the the editing and everything has got like dramatically quick better yeah. very quickly. Like they had no option but to do that because it was either the it was either do yeah. that or not film at all. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. It's um, it's one of my one of my great theories that I've I've never actually put to the test about like uh, TV shows in particular. If you got a TV show that took three months to film, if you said to the team, okay, you've got two months and three weeks to film this, I think making those tiny little shortcuts sometimes it can lead those sort of stressful situations can lead to brilliance to sort of like okay well let's do this in a really interesting confusing way well number one because it'll take less time but also because we can sort of thing like on um four o'clock club we often had times where we were a bit sort of pressed for time for scenes and stuff and we did a lot of like walk and talk sort of steady cam scenes where we would go up and down stairs or around corridors and all that sort of stuff and don't get us wrong don't get me wrong it, it took us quite a few takes for certain scenes but also looked really good in the final edit and i think that is something that's really that sort of what's the word i'm looking for 
the fact that we're putting these obscure strange limitations on life now it means that we've got almost the, the room to have a very specific type of growth which i think might be good no that that's that that makes sense definitely um 100 um my tv show to ben in a strange way is love island um, oh, I forgot about that. I get addicted to it every year. I watch it every year. I hold my hands up and say, yep, I do watch every mm. year, but I would definitely bin it. It's, it's a lot of rubbish. Mm. Um, but one you can't... reminded me in a, in a strange way. I can't remember the title of the show, so you're going to have to do this one. It's, um, it's, it's like a reality show that I think my mother-in-law quite likes, where um, it, it's like a group of people would go to... Um, they, they, they go on holiday, and then the ho- it's a reality show about the holiday reps. So they're in this oh, like, oh, I... such and such. I beat the weekender. I beat the weekender. That's it. I beat the weekend. Every time I, I sort of, for a while, I, I would sort of be at my, my um, at their house and it'd be on. I'd be just thinking, this is just atrocious. <laughs> I, I, I hate this. I hate every second of this show. It's, it's terrible. Um, yeah. So maybe that. Those, those kind of programs like Terry and Made in mm. Chelsea and everything. Yeah, I would definitely get rid of just that genre. <laughs> just that. Uh, that reality drama Structured reality tv yeah, yeah just get rid of it um without doubt. talking about reality um we like to ask the question of what one reality slash talent show would you be part of <laughs> well every year that i'm a celeb comes on i always think i'd love to do i'm a celeb <laughs> i think that might be a very common answer so it's a bit a bit uh, predictable but I, I do think i'd love to the thing that would stop me is i am vegetarian so i can't do the bush tucker trials um, oh, well, 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 wait a minute. Actually, that's true, yeah. Beverly Callard. Beverly Callard was in it last year and she was, mm-hmm. uh, you watched the eating challenge and she got all like oh, tofu, true. stinking tofu and yeah, um, the managed okay. to it. So I could, I could do that then in that case. That but doesn't yeah, stop, yeah. I'd love to do I'm a Celeb because I'd, 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 I feel like I'd, in a strange way, kind of enjoyed, you know, the, the trials where they're alter in some capacity. They're like, oh, you've got to face up to this crocodile or whatever it might be. Um, See, the animals wouldn't give me a thought. The eating wouldn't give me a thought as to heights. I just do not. I I Mm. wouldn't do it. I would honestly, hands on heart, say I just wouldn't do anything with heights. No, I know what you mean. I'm not a fan of heights myself. Uh, For me, it would be insects. Insects sort of in my ears, in my nose, ever since seeing um, Fatima Whitbread. Fatima Whitbread, yeah. I thought, that's like my worst nightmare now. It's like, it would never happen in your actual real life. But now that I've seen it happen, on to you my worst nightmare yeah could we call it that 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 was yeah <laughs> um definitely and, and our last question um and then you can relax is what is your top three shows of all time oh god that's a big question um so far I obviously think, that can change but so far of course yeah um i think i'd have to say star trek next generation i think um it's, it's sort of gone down in history as one of the greatest sci-fi shows of all time and i think just in terms of the, the cast and the crew and the fantastic, I think that's something I would have to put on the list. Um, I, I, oh, I, I don't know now, because I love I love sitcoms, so I don't feel like I'd have to include a sitcom in my top three. Maybe Friday Night Dinner. That's oh. a really good sitcom. It's such fantastic performances, such from all the cast members, and it's going to sound weird, but you believe that they're a family. I think yes. that's something I, I really love, is you, you watch the show and you're like, yeah, you sort of know, oh yeah, my dad does that ridiculous thing. Like, um, you sort of know in a strange way, it's like, can you take the most ridiculous thing that your parents have ever done and turn it up to 11, please? I think that's what the show, it, that's what I really like about the show. 
it's um, Matt Keep for me. Matt Keep just blows out of the water. Mm. Like, um, what's his name? I tell the one with the dog. <gasps> oh, Jim. Jim. Mm. It just yeah, comedy, absolutely comedy genius. Yeah. He should go down as one of the best comedy actors in history. Like, oh, certainly, yeah. And um, he was also in um, The World's End, the Simon Pegg and Nick Frost film. Yeah. Very, very, very briefly, but he was a bartender in one of the pubs they went to. And uh, in that, he was really good. And he was in it for like a minute. <laughs> he was, he, he just gave really you remember? Board, I that was fantastic. Yeah, I remembered it. Yeah. Um, I'm really struggling for a third one now, because like sci-fi and sitcoms are my big things that I really love. Um, oof. I suppose in terms of like serious dramas, that's like... This is the thing, because I love watching serious dramas that really engage me, but now I can't think of a single one. I remember watching The Bodyguard and binge-watching it incredibly quickly. Watching Stranger Things and binge-watching that incredibly quickly. Um, Bridgerton and doing that really quickly too. Uh, but now my mind has gone utterly blank. I think it might have to be the first season of Stranger Things. I know that's a very specific oh, it's a very specific one of to, to, the to first season. Just, just the first season. Yeah. But the first season of Stranger Things. Well, yeah, I think because I I really appreciate well I, I really appreciate I really love the books of Stephen King. I, I read a lot of his work. Gosh, I don't know if you have very short stories, but they are chilling, chilling pieces of work. And um, that first season is the only sort of it's the only time I've ever seen something on TV that's given me the same reaction as his books do. That that sort of constant sort of. The danger is always there, and the only thing that we know is that we don't know what it is. That, that sort of utter terror. Makes that, sense, yes. I appreciated that one, yeah. Um, so that's what I'd have to say, I think. Being perfectly honest, I haven't seen Stranger Things. Ooh. Uh, um, keep, well, does... I've seen the first episode, and I keep trying to go back to it, and it's like, I don't know, it's just not, like, a programme has to hook me very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, especially uh, if I'm going to invest a lot of time in it. Yeah, the first season is really, really good. The second and third seasons are a bit less good, but I, I, they are still very, very good. Yeah. No, the acting, especially as most of the characters are kids, it's about like four o'clock mm. club, but in a more mm. like in a more adult environment, like they're not they're acting as kids, but they're not like they're they're, they're it's an adult storyline, like it's a horror, yeah, it's yeah. it's scary, it's not like the four o'clock club had some probably scary moments, but nothing like Stranger Things. No, no. Um, nothing at all like Stranger Things. So it's I'm not mm. like comparing the two shows, but as kids, it's different like experiences mm. is what I was trying to say um, mm. for, for the shows but anyway that's yeah, us and there's this, um... oh, on you go sorry mm. yes it is indeed sorry no it was um, this obscure Stephen King quote that just came to mind about sort of seeing kids in horror settings is um, when you're a kid you sort of imagine sort of uh, if you're playing with like a, a stuffed toy or like a little race car or whatever and you're imagining this whole world around you and he was sort of saying that like what if those kids on the corner are like in this gateway to a different reality and all that? And it's for him, it's just a simple matter of flicking that switch just a little bit too, too high or something. And I think that's what Stranger Things does very well. It's like these kids are literally just bringing Dungeons and Dragons to life in a strange way. And I think that's that's something that I really appreciated about it. Yeah, that, that makes sense definitely. And I think that's why a lot of like if you look at certainly a lot of the more famous Stephen King novels has kids mm. involved somehow as well. Like, a lot of them, yeah, if you think definitely. about it, have got kids involved. I mean, Carrie, his first big one, that was about a girl at prom. At, yeah. At, at the core of it. Do you know what I mean? It's, I think and then you've got a Et. lot of his work is sort of... Et as uh, well. Yeah. Et, Et yeah. Is, is mainly kids. Like, the majority yeah. of the, the acting is 
as kids, obviously part two is the adult as them as adults, but part one is the mainly as the main cast is kids, mm. apart from obviously Pennywise himself, but mm. which still is one of the most horrifying horror characters in history. But for me, <laughs> um, but anyway, we digress. But that's us, and um, we we have got to the end of the podcast. That was your TV life at the moment. Indeed, um, long may it continue, no matter in Thank what you. format. Um, but thank you for, for joining us. No, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. No, it's, it's been our pleasure. And you guys listening at home, thank you thank you for listening firstly. Yeah. And make sure you follow us on social media, so Twitter and Instagram, to keep up to date with who we've got next in, in the next podcasts. But in our next podcast, actually, we have Lewis's co-host of Shouting Into the Void. We have Daniel Kea, who is also in 4 O'Clock Club and other things. So we'll talk to him about his TV life next. And so join us next week for that. But guys, once again, thank you very much for listening and take care.